0: If you were here yesterday afternoon or yesterday at some time, you would have been here for our garage sale. Every year we have a garage sale about this time of year to raise some funds for mission trips for our teens where they go every third year on an international mission trip. And uh, we raised uh, just over $2,500 again this year on the garage sale. So thank you very much to all those who worked on that. I mentioned in the first service, like, uh, you know, Mike Muirhead has been doing the garage sale for, I think he said 19 years? 16 years. 16 years he's been doing the garage sale, and I don't know how long it's been since he's had a teenager in the youth group. Uh, But I've been here nine years and he didn't have one then So it's been a while and Mike Muirhead continues to work on that John Neufeld also comes and John doesn't have a teenager in the youth group or hasn't had And continues to work in the garage sale every year And it's just a blessing to have these guys and others, of course Who give their time and their effort to make sure that the garage sale uh, comes off So raise $2,500, I think we should have another one next week And uh, raise some more money We also have Serve Day coming up Next Saturday morning from 9 to 12, we would love to have you come. We've got some families in our community that are going to be blessed by our church family working in their yards and just cleaning up for them. A lot of times these are uh, families of older adults who don't have a chance to get out and do all the things that they used to do, and we might clean gutters and trim hedges and mow lawns and trim lawns and all those kind of things. So if you have a chance to do that next Saturday morning, we'd love to have you do so. There's a sign-up list in uh, in the Connection Center. And we would love to have you sign up and be here next Sunday morning to do that. And you're going to bless some lives if you do. Uh, Did I say Sunday? Saturday. Okay. Next Saturday morning. We're going to hear about uh, people saying things incorrectly in just a minute here. We also have next Sunday the uh, all-church picnic that's going to take place after our second service over at uh, Pierce Point Park. Right No, Pierce Estates Park. What's the name of the park, right? Pierce Estates. And I uh, encourage you to come and be part of that as well. And there's a grad banquet that night. You can get tickets from Dustin. Although, as I saw last week, you give him the money. He doesn't really give you a ticket. You just give him the money. Okay? And there are no tickets, but you can show up. <clears throat> Love to have you do so. Well, in terms of misspeaking, there are at least a couple of times or kinds of misspeaking uh, that people do. And I have done both more than once, more times than I can count. First, it is inevitable that when you speak in front of people a lot that you're eventually going to put your size 9 wingtips or your Converse All-Stars or your Skechers squarely inside your mouth. Or have you ever done that? Yes, you have. I've watched you, okay? The first time ever that I taught an adult class, I was 23 years old. I was nervous. I was teaching mainly senior citizens. So I'm 23 years old, fresh out of graduate school. I'm teaching senior citizens, first class ever. And while I was teaching, I accidentally combined two words together while I was speaking and blurted out quite loudly something quite profane. And they were gracious and they loved me anyway. But what do you do then when that happens? You just stare at the class, you smile, and you say, oops, and you move on, and that's what I did. It was interesting that in the same, the same lesson where I taught uh, this adult class and I swore at them, at the same time, there was a, an air conditioning unit that was right up above my head blowing down on me, and it was cold air, so I, you know, so I was cold, and my nose started to run, and I could not stop it, and I had, I had nothing. And so my nose is just running for like 45 minutes of this class, with the whole time me going like this, trying to, to stop this flow. And so I, I mean, it was I was terribly embarrassed, you know? But there was nothing I could do. One of the elders' wives came up to me afterwards, and she said, "You know, I just want you to know we were embarrassed right along with you. <laughs> we we were we cared for you. We're not you know we're not mad at you." But that, that's just how it goes sometimes. Things don't go the way you planned. I had a friend, uh, actually the lead minister at that same church, who at a New Year's, Eve, uh, New Year's Eve service that was combined, several churches came together, and he had a chance to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. And here's what he read. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Do not be misled. One of the elders was in the audience and he went, Randy, Randy, Randy. <laughs> but that's what happens sometimes. We say things that are not exactly what we want them to be. For example, I don't know if I need to click on this again. Maybe I do. Oh, Can you make that work for me, Trev? In the first service, it just it just came and right on. Coverage. Okay, listen to this. The very first time, well, a very very heavy uh, heavy di- vertation tonight. We had a very Darrison, but let's go ahead. Terrace for Let's put a bit the <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, play that again. And backstage coverage, we're seeing for the very first time, Zuri. Well, a very very heavy uh, heavy do- vertation tonight. We had a very Darrison fight. let's go ahead, Terris Chase those for a bit. They had the pet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. And I think I'm bad. Can you imagine? What well, do you think she kept her job afterwards? I don't know, but th- these kind of things happen. Well, another way to misspeak is to say something that is mistaken. I've told you before about the second time that I ever preached and how immediately when I finished preaching, the preacher of the church, who, you know, I, I mean, I knew him well and all that, but the moment I got done speaking, he got up immediately and told everything or told everyone that I was a young man who didn't know what I was talking about as if they couldn't figure that out on their own. He obviously thought that I had spoken poorly and that I had, in that sense, misspoken. I remember the first time that I tried to preach a series on the kingdom, which is the series that we've been preaching recently. And it was a long, long time ago. It was another galaxy far, far away. But I was told in no uncertain terms by the leadership that I could not preach about our still present expectation for the kingdom to come. And that's because, to their mind, the kingdom already came. It came on the day of Pentecost. And even though I was convinced that although the kingdom still had time to come, or it needed to come again in its fullness, that I was not to preach on that subject anymore. In fact, in my exuberance, I had made a banner, not unlike this one, and on the bottom of the banner, we had put, Thy kingdom come you know direct quotation from Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 and they came to me and they said you got to take that banner down and i'm thinking it's scripture well, you know, like how can i take this down and they said we want you to take it down and add something to the end we want you to put on the end thy kingdom will come in all its fullness and so i was actually adding to the word of god on the banner in order to please their theological ideas about what the kingdom had already done and I just think that's fascinating that we sometimes have to do that when I was 19 years old I wanted to change the world ever had that experience when I was 19 years old I wanted to change the world I was and some of you who are sitting there right now you hear me say this you're going to cringe and others will just applaud inside I was liberal politically I was an environmentalist. I was a social activist. I was a post-hippie era hippie. I volunteered for causes. I fought for the oppressed and the hurting and was somewhat, at least within the bounds of my new Christian faith, anti-authority. Remember that anti-disestablishmentarianism? We used to talk about that being the longest word. You're old enough to remember that, John. It was like that. When I was in my early 20s, I was theologically quite into what is called liberation theology or political theology. I was reading a guy named Jürgen Moltmann all the time, and he was a Marxist. And I read him and loved what he was saying. And I was somewhat convinced that Christians needed to have as their main agenda the freeing of oppressed people, especially oppressed economically and politically, wherever they existed, we needed to work to free them. When I was about 23, I got myself in big trouble because I accused the writer of an article in a Christian newspaper, and for those of you who might read the Christian Chronicle, it was the Christian Chronicle, got myself in big trouble because I accused uh, a writer of this article of not caring about the poor. And I got back a scathing letter from a fellow whom I didn't know, but who had previously preached at the church where I was converted and who knew all my friends in my home church. He basically said that all the other adults who knew me would be ashamed of me for the way that I was thinking. He said that those who taught me about Christ would be embarrassed by me. And when I look back now, he was probably right. I think I was self-righteous. I think I was judgmental. I think I was pretty ignorant when I was 23 years old. Now, I'm not as self-righteous. I'm not as judgmental for good reasons, but still just as ignorant, I think in many ways. At least two things have not changed since I was 23 years old and politically liberal and active. One is that all too frequently I still put my foot in my mouth. I still make mistakes. So, Oren, you got a ways to go. You're going to keep doing it. Have confidence. The second thing is that in my best moments, in my best moments, I still want to change the world. I'm not as liberal politically, but I still want to see people liberated. I still think that the oppressed and the hurting need to be impacted by the church's ministry. I still want to embrace the outcasts. I still want to do something. I still want to make a difference with my life. I still want to change the world. And, and that's why I think I love so much this study on the kingdom. Because the notion of the kingdom of God at its core is all about transformation. It's all about changing the world. You know, people talk about this all the time. Organizations are founded and grounded in the notion that they're going to change the world. And the only people I know who really have the capacity to change the world are the people who are sitting in front of me. We're the only ones who really can change the world because we have a God who is behind us and who wants to change the world. And this time, I don't think I'm misspeaking. I think I'm simply saying the truth and on safe ground. And here's the reason why. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Why did he do that? What was he about? He did that because he was in the process of changing the world through the kingdom, through the power and the presence of God. He wanted things to be radically different than they were. And so he went around changing things. And the world was impacted. Here's some other things he said. He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, to change. He wants people, sinners like you and me, to change. He wants us to genuinely be different. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. There are those people who are absolutely lost. And he came to save them. I've come that you might have life and that you might have, have it to the full. Because there are lots of people who don't. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest clearly jesus wanted to bring for them transformation he wanted things to change and then look at these words and and i'm going to put these on the screen and i and i just want you to notice how how challenging these are how radical these words are that come from jesus look at this do not suppose that i've come to bring peace to the earth like, we don't, even, we don't expect Jesus to say that, but he does. Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. John mentioned this during the Lord's Supper. We mentioned it in class today. Jesus says, take up your cross. And to them, that wasn't metaphorical. People didn't hear this and they think to themselves, oh, he's talking to us about, you know, he wants us to make some sacrifices. When he says to them, I want you to take up a cross and follow after me, cross for them meant one thing. It meant crucifixion. So when he says that to the disciples, that's what they're thinking about. They think they're going at any point with him to Jerusalem to die. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, Jesus says. These are radical words. Boy, I thought I was a radical when I was 20 years old. These are radical words. These are hard words, challenging words. But their words, I hope you will take seriously. Jesus' point is obviously not that he wants children to hate their parents. Jesus doesn't want children to hate their parents. Honor your father and mother. What he wants is commitment to his agenda. He wants you to get on board with his mission. To realize that the mission he is about is a lot bigger than we sometimes think. You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to do that. He also said... And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. He wants us to give out some cold water as well. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. He also said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which was for them that meant the jubilee. You know, we're sometimes like John the Baptist who was confused about why Jesus came. He thought Jesus came to establish an authoritative earthly kingdom. And he didn't get it. Jesus wasn't acting the way he expected And so he sends some messengers to Jesus and says, what are you doing? I don't get this. Why are you not acting like the Messiah I expected you would act like? And Jesus says to John, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who has not stumbled on account of me. And my point is, do you see how big this mission of the kingdom is. To reach the world for the Lord Jesus Christ is huge. And it's transformative. It is so world-changing. And what we need to do is to be kingdom-oriented. Do you ever get frustrated because of the lack of progress the church makes? Do you ever think, oh, we should be doing more, we should get more done, we should be bigger, we should be reaching more people? All of that I agree with. And so we come up with all kinds of solutions, plans. We think we have all the answers as to why we are less effective than we want to be at bringing about transformation. We think that our ministry is too narrow, or we think our ministry is too broad, or we think our ministry is too liberal, or our ministry is too conservative, it's too inward focused, or it's not enough like family. It's too traditionally Church of Christ. It isn't traditionally Church of Christ enough. It's the elder's fault. It's the preacher's fault. So it's the leader's fault. Or it's the follower's fault. Or it's Satan's fault. The one thing that we know is that it's not God's fault. And here, at least for this morning, is where I think the problem lies. The kingdom of heaven Is this how we think of the kingdom? Is it for us this big? So that everything you have, you will sell for this. So that everything you possess, you'll give up for this. Because this is the biggie. You've heard the story before about Albert Schweitzer, who was once at Harvard, He told the student body at Harvard University that only ones among them who would end up being truly happy were those who decided to become servants. He knew this because after possessing three doctoral degrees in theology, music, and medicine, He was sitting in his university office one day, and a letter came across his desk inviting people to go to, I think it was the Congo in Africa. And Schweitzer says, I looked at the letter, and I read it, and I knew immediately what my call for the rest of my life was going to be. And he left his tenured university position, and he went to Africa, and he gave it all up. And now he's at Harvard telling these students, the most brilliant in the United States in some sense, that the only way they were going to be happy, based on his experience, is when they become servants. Now you may have heard that story before. What you may not know is that the theological principle that drove Schweitzer to make the decision that he did was what he thought about the kingdom of God as preached by Jesus. That's what motivated Schweitzer more than anything else. The kingdom of God in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's my impression that the kingdom of God in the ministry of Jesus Christ is exactly what's going to be effective for mission today. But it requires of us... The same kind of sacrifice that it required of him. Schweitzer, I mean. And ultimately of Jesus. Like we cannot have the impact in our world that Christ wants us to have. This transforming, changing, powerful impact unless we give ourselves to this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, he went and he sold all he had and bought that field. It was the biggest thing going for him. He sold everything to get that. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so it may require of us sacrifices. We have to have kingdom eyes. We need kingdom focus. We need to make kingdom sacrifices. And so I want you to look again at these words from Jesus. And I want you to pay attention especially to the last paragraph. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me. And you know, you could put anything in there. He puts mother and father. You could put anything, but he put mother and father. Is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He could have put anything. He puts son or daughter. Whoever does not take up their cross, which again, for them meant crucifixion, and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And you know what I think Jesus didn't do here? I don't think he misspoke. I think he said exactly what he wanted to say. And he challenged us at that level. And I just pray that we somehow, through all the noise and distractions around us, I pray that somehow we have ears enough to hear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to hear. We pray, God, that you would hear us, allow us to hear you, and, and that we would respond by giving our whole lives back to you. Father, we pray that you would help us to see the pearl that is the kingdom. Help us to see the treasure. Help us to see the one thing that is big enough, broad enough, for us to give our whole lives to. And Father, I pray that you'd use us because we give ourselves in that way. I pray that you would use us for transformation. We thank you for speaking these things to us through Jesus. It's through him that we pray. Amen.